Okay, let's go to 2 Samuel, if you would. 2 Samuel in chapter number 6. We'll get back into our series here when a nation needs revival. 2 Samuel in chapter number 6. Also find your place in 1 Chronicles 13. So 1 Chronicles 13, just mark uh, your Bible there. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 1 Chronicles 13. I've also got my Bible marked in 1 Peter. Um, so man, it's feeling like a long night already, right? Amen. All right. <clears throat> okay, so 2 Samuel 6, 1 Chronicles 13, and then uh, 1 Peter 1, and then Revelation. No, I'm just kidding. We'll stop there. That'd be enough. That'd be enough. We'll do that. When a nation needs revival. Well, we got to get back to the book, right? Amen. Yeah. If we're going to get revival. I sure enjoy that song, uh, the Trimble sang a moment ago, the book, you know, purpose tomorrow to spend some time in the word. Amen. Spend some time in the word. So important. But the Woosley's here tonight and see that the Woosley's, that's a blessing. Pastors in Kentucky, thankful for that. That's a blessing. All right, 2 Samuel, here we go. Verse uh, 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bali of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God. Now that's significant right there. They're going to bring up again the ark. And notice how it says it, the ark of God, not the ark of man. It's the ark of God. And then, then it elaborates a bit, verse 2, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth Between the cherubims. Can you? Uh, just to think about even the song that Brother Gary sang. To see him high and lifted up. We'll be in big trouble when we lose sight of that. It plays out here, in fact. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart. And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, sorry, that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah. According, see, it says, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And notice this verse 5, it says, and David... And all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner, on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on, on cymbals. So, I mean, all these, these instruments, I mean, it, it was, it had to be majestic, loud, um, celebratory. I mean, just a great celebration. Wind instruments, stringed instruments, percussion instruments, big deal. It's a big deal. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ox shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. Can you imagine the scene? Just imagine that the music completely stopped. And a man lay dead on the ground. And David was displeased, verse 8, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. You might remember back in chapter 5 uh, when God broke forth upon the Philistines. Remember that? 
and they call the name of it 520 Belperazim. It's the same verbiage. The, the breach is broken forth and, and they're flooded with, with God's anger and wrath. And so he calls the name of the place uh, here. Um, he calls the name of it Perez Uzzah because God had poured his wrath out upon Uzzah and called it that to this day. And David, look, look at verse number nine. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? You know what? That's a good question. And actually there's a biblical answer. How shall the ark of God, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Maybe we could ask the question tonight, how shall the church of the living God do ministry in the 21st century? How shall the church of the living God, which we are, uh, one of his churches. How shall the church do ministry in the 21st century? How shall we? Can we? Oh, yeah. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. Notice this, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So tonight I'd like to preach with God's help. The mistake of trying to lead in the old paths with a new cart. The mistake. And I, I wrestled with the word. So this isn't haphazard here. Just okay. Because I thought about the fallacy, the um, other words that I'm not thinking of right now. But I settled on the word, the mistake. And I'll explain why in just a moment. The mistake. The mistake. You say, I don't know if that's strong enough. Well, just hang tight. Um, let me explain the word and then you can judge. Okay. The mistake. Mistake. Of trying to lead in the old paths. with a new cart. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Maybe you've had those times when you think you're going the right direction and you realize, oh no. I've had plenty of those times when I've been out hiking, you know, I was telling somebody today, I love hiking and, and our adopted son, I love, I was telling him how much I enjoy hiking and, and I love the Wichita mountains. It's probably my favorite place in Oklahoma, you know, the hike and oh my soul, I've been turned around in there, you know, and it's not real difficult, but plenty of times you think oh, I'm on the right path and you realize you're not. It's one thing when you're by yourself. Because then, unless you tell somebody, you're the only one that knows. <laughs> it's another thing when you got a group of teenagers behind you, or as we, get, we do the Elk Mountain hike every year and, and take the sixth graders up. It's their passage into manhood, don't you know? And, and so Brother Seth has helped me on that. We've led them in the old paths. <laughs> Never now and then it got all right, Brother Seth. And we've got some stories there that we're not going to share publicly. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, it's one thing when you're just by yourself. It's another thing when you got other people counting on you. The pressure that's there, they're counting on you to lead them in the right path. And, and sometimes, honestly, you just, you, you make a mistake. You, you choose the wrong path and you take them a wrong direction. You escort them, um, you conduct them in a wrong direction, even unintentionally. Whether or not it was intentional doesn't change the fact that it was wrong. I'll run that by you one more time. Whether or not it was intentional does not change the fact that it was wrong. So for example, let's do a driving example. Now, 
say I'm intending to go, I'm intending to go west on I-40, gonna run down to Weatherford and maybe see the Corleys or something there. And, and so I'm gonna jump on I-40 and go west, but I mistakenly get on I-40 eastbound. Not the same. Not the same. Things that are different are not the same. Amen. So I end up in Shawnee or Eufaula. And then finally you realize where they move Weatherford. <laughs> okay, now look, maybe I didn't intend to lead, you know, the, the caravan that way or if we're going on in a group. I mean, it's one thing, again, if you're in the car by yourself and you have to make a big U-turn, that's, that's one thing. But if you're leading a group, you know, that's going to a meeting or whatever and, and, and you've got people that are following you and counting on you and you're leading them and your intentions are good. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. If you're leading them in the wrong direction, it's still the wrong direction. And you need to turn around and get back to where you need to be. Mistake. I told you I was going to share with you the definition of the word mistake. It's interesting as I got into it. Now, I, I will acknowledge this because I wrestled with it because, you know, the word mistake. Sometimes, oh man, I made a mistake. We just kind of use that flippantly. And sometimes it's even used to talk about sin, which actually is not a bad word if you mean what it actually means. But sometimes I think, oh man, I slipped up. And that's minimizing sin. Hey, listen, you know what's right and you do what's wrong. That's not just a little oops or a little mess up. No, we need to call sin what it is. It's rebellion against God. Okay, so, but the word mistake is, is actually a good English word. And it means this, an error. Uh, it means in action, an, an error in action, calculation, or opinion, or judgment. Okay, it's an error, which means you're going the wrong way. It's an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning, carelessness, or insufficient knowledge. That too much to bite off just listening to it? You're going the wrong way. How's that? It's made up of two words, two, well, a prefix, and then, then the verb take, mistake, mistake. You, you get it. Miss means, um, miss means ill, wrong, or erroneous. Miss, ill, wrong, or erroneous. Take means to escort or conduct among many other definitions of the word take. So if you, if you make a mistake, then you're escorting people in a wrong way. Intentionally or unintentionally. I think you can see from the results of the text, if you paid attention during the reading, and you see this man, Uzzah, who falls to the ground dead because God had to bring his judgment upon him, then I think you see that, that David led the people in the wrong way. But, but listen, I believe he had good intentions. We're going to get into that. I think he had good intentions. But I, I'll tell you why I'm, I'm, I'm burdened about this tonight. I believe there's some David type leaders that are leading God's churches in a wrong way. And I hope it'll make more sense to you than maybe it does just, just right now. But I, having studied this out and just thinking about it, and in fact, hearing Brother Rocky Harold preach this about three or four or five years ago, hadn't forgot about it. But I think there's a lot of good intentions out there. I think, I think that there are church leaders that, that want to people, see people saved. I think that they want to see people in church. I think they want to see churches grow. I, I think that their intentions may be right, but just because your intentions are right does not mean that the way that you're leading people is right. I want you to think about this one through here tonight, church, because we're not responsible for other churches. I, I, there's no hierarchy of churches here. That, in fact, that's an unbiblical idea. There's no hierarchy of churches. There are churches that are his churches and, and every church is to have a pastor that's leading. So we're not responsible for other churches other than maybe those that we are in an active church planting effort. But, but Lighthouse Baptist Church is an indigenous church. Shawnee Baptist Church, Calvary Baptist Church. La Iglesia Baptista El Calvario. Sorry, I had to switch into Spanish mode just a moment. 
is an indigenous church. We're not responsible for what's going on there, though we care. I say, though we care. All those, those churches, they're indigenous churches, just like Southwest Baptist Church. So I, I want to apply it here because this is where we have responsibility. But, but listen, if we're not careful, we may have good intentions and try to build the church, but we could do it in an unbiblical manner, manners and methods. Because methods matter to God. Good intentions do not compensate for wrong decisions. David wanted to help the kingdom move forward. I really believe he did. And I think in his mind, he was doing just that. He was wanting to help the, the kingdom move forward. And I think you know how I feel about King David. I, I love King David and I think you do too. And, 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 but here, the word of God, God records all these things for our learning. That we would pay attention to it and even if it were David or Solomon or one of our great heroes, when, when, they take a, when they take a wrong trail, then you and I need to pay attention to that and not take that same trail. David wanted to see the kingdom move forward. In many ways, the kingdom was doing just fantastic. It's just recently come under his leadership. They've just, uh, by, by, gra by grace and through faith, they've acquired uh, Jerusalem and is now the capital city of Israel. He's not just the king of Judah, but he's also the king of Israel. And so now he's leading them forward and, and uh, the kingdom is being unified under his hand and they face their first opposition. He prayed and sought the face of God about how to handle when the Philistines were coming against him and God told him, to attack and what he would do. And in fact, they had such great victory that the Philistines, they got in such a hurry that they left their gods behind. It's got to be a bummer when you leave your God behind you. I'm glad we got a God who goes with us. But there they are, a pile of gods left behind by all the Philistines. And as they were getting out of there, well, the enemy of God didn't give up. They came back again. And David prayed and asked God, God, what do you want us to do? And he said, you just wait right there and wait till the, till the rushing of the, uh, the, the sound of the wind and the, in the, not the wind, the, the going in the mulberry trees. That's what I was trying to get out. There's going to be some systematic marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. I don't think it was just wind, friend. I think it was the, the mighty host of God marching in there ahead of them and giving them great victory. And God did just that. Things were moving ahead and there's synergy. There's momentum. They're moving forward. David is a new leader and he's, he's wanting to help the people of God to move forward. And so in his heart and mind, he comes and thinks about what, what could unify us more? What would bring us together more? In fact, I think he's even saying this. We really need God back in the center of our kingdom again. He said, let's bring the ark of God. You need to understand something about the Ark of God. You need to understand exactly what it is. It basically was a chest that contained the Ten Commandments and it was given to, to the children of Israel under the leadership of Moses. It would be a, a, a basically a chest that's about 45 inches long, 27 inches wide and 27 inches tall. So not very large, but very elaborate. The mercy seat that's on top of it was of pure gold and, and the cherubims, those angelic beings would, would hover above it. It was symbolic, listen, it was symbolic of the presence of God in the nation. It was a place of revelation. God would, would speak to his people from the Ark of the Covenant. It, it's a place that contained, as I've already mentioned, the Ten Commandments. It's a place where God rules. There's verses, there's so many verses that we could go to that talks about the Ark of the Covenant being as the footstool of God. In other words, it's talking about how that God would rule from that place. It was a place of his ruling, a place of reconciliation where the blood would be brought in every year by the high priest and he would sprinkle the blood upon that mercy seat as it's called and God would look at the blood and he'd see the blood and he wouldn't see the broken commandments and he would roll back their sins another year. You follow me here? It's a place where God met with his people Amen. through the atonement. I said it's where God would meet with his people through means of the atonement, the blood sacrifice. It's a significant piece of furniture in the, in the tabernacle of God. It was significant in its, in its sacredness. And in fact, it's significant in its history that it was at this point nearly 500 years old that, that it was given in the days of Moses and, and it was there in the days of the judges and it was there, there also in the days of Samuel. And for the last several years, it's been in Kirjath-Jerim as we read about it. I want to say to you tonight that such a significant item should be dealt with, handled with great 
reverence. The history of the ark would underscore just how significant it is as Moses would pray every morning if the, if the cloud would move and, or the pillar fire by night, then they, they would pray and he would pray that God would, would protect them as the ark led them out. It represented God's presence of, and his leadership in, the li in their lives. And, and then in Joshua chapter number three, as the priests bear the ark and they stepped into the river Jordan, then it ceased flowing and God let them go through on dry ground and then it moved on. And then in Joshua chapter number six, the ark of the covenant went around the walls of Jericho. Do you remember this? And God was in their midst symbolically through the ark of the covenant and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. But listen, the ark of the covenant is not a good luck charm. They found out in a hurry in 1 Samuel chapter 4 as they were losing to the Philistines and Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of the priest Eli, said, I know what, let's do. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant in here. And they brought in the Ark of the Covenant and there was a great shouting among the Jewish warriors and the Philistines were terrified out of their minds and yet the Philistines greatly defeated the children of Israel and they carted off the Ark of the Covenant and they had a little bit of trouble after they did. They brought it into their temple of Dagon and, and Dagon fell face first before the Ark of the Covenant. Boom. Well, they helped their God back up. <laughs> I'm glad we serve God who helps us up that we don't have to help him up. They propped up their God, dusted him off. Next morning they came in there, boom, he was on his face again, except his head had rolled off and his hands. It's a bummer when your God leaves, loses his head and his hands. It's terrible. It's terrible. So anyways, they, they said, we got to do something with this ark. We got to get this out of here. So then they sent it from where it was there and they sent it to Ashdod and things got personally painful. And so they said, we got to get this out of here. And so they were sending it on to Gath. Same thing happened there. Personal pain came in Gath, as well as in Ekron. And finally they said, we got to get rid of this ark. So you know what they did? They put it on a new cart. Huh? No, no, that's what it says. They put it on a new cart. Well, I mean, that was showing a little bit of reverence, wasn't it? At least it wasn't an old raggedy cart. At least it wasn't just an, any old wagon. You know, if you're going to move back in that day and time, they didn't have U-Haul, they had wagons. So they'd put their gods on a cart and haul them off. But they said, man, this is a, this is a holy God. So we need to give him a brand new cart. And so they put him on a brand new cart and, and, and the oxen pulled him along and they came in there and, and listen, uh, even in that, that location and in Beth, Beth Shemesh, I believe it was, listen, the people, the people of God got curious and they looked in the ark and 50,070 died. and seventy died. Because they looked in the ark. Well, it sounds like to me, and those were Jews. Sounds like to me that Philistines better beware of the holiness of God. Sounds like to me that the people of God, the Jews better beware of the holiness of God. Hey, sounds like to me that the king of Israel ought to beware of the holiness of God. David thought he'd help his nation move forward and, and he thought about bringing in the ark. And, and I remember, I mean, I'm, I'm back to that thing about the cart. I remember being in Sri Lanka and, and we were there. In fact, it was one of those times when the missionary said, listen, we, we better get out of here. This thing is getting, gonna get, a, get pretty crazy. And, and so there's this big festival and people were kind of dancing in the street and there was this cart that was being pulled along. I mean, it's just like what it is here. And these, this Hindu God, remember this Angie? This Hindu God was being pulled along. That's exactly what's going on there. Listen, it's Paganism. It's the way the pagans would deal with their gods and goddesses. And, and so here David wants to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem. And listen, by the way, I think that's a good desire. That's a good intent. That's a good desire. Why did he do that? The text doesn't really tell us, although we're going to see a little hint of it in First, uh, first Chronicles, if you mark your Bible there. First uh, Chronicles 13. In fact, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll be there directly. That means in just a little bit. 
Why did he do this? Why did he want to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the Jerusalem? Well, I mean, okay, just keep in mind a few things. He had just defeated the Philistines. So what better way could they have of a counterattack than recapturing the Ark of God? I mean, that'd be a good move. That could be it. Obviously, if he brings in the Ark of God, this is going to unify Israel. I, be I believe this also. I, I sincerely do. I believe that David genuinely loved the Lord. He's a man after God's own heart. I think he genuinely loved the Lord. I think he wanted to honor God. I believe this. I believe he wanted God's blessings upon his life, upon the nation's life. I really do. I believe that he wanted that. I believe he wanted that. He wanted God's blessings upon his life. Now, wait a minute. Please, please think with me here. If you want God's blessings upon your life, then you got to have God's presence in your life. And so the ark represented God's presence. So if he wanted God's blessings, he had to have God's presence among them. And so all this is going on. Look at uh, 1 Chronicles 13. It says, and David consulted with the captains of the thousands and hundreds and every leader. Um, hang on, wait just a minute. Actually, that's rather alarming because he didn't start with God. He started with the people. Wonder which way the wind's blowing right here. A little seeker sensitive movement, maybe. And brother Gaddis, don't say that about David. What else you want to call it? He consulted with the people. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But wait a minute, where should he consult first? Where should he seek first? He should certainly seek the face of God. And that has been his mode of operation. But back in 2 Samuel, he didn't say that he sought the face of God here. He just said that he did it. And, and, and then, then we know for sure he didn't go about it the right way. And that's what we're building up to here in just a second. So it says he sought the people and he said unto the congregation of Israel and in 1 Chronicles 13, it says that he said to them, if it seemed good unto you and that it be of the Lord our God. Hang, hang on, wait a minute. Put that in the other order. If it be of God and, and, and the people of God, well, if God's for it and God's people aren't, then we ought to still be for it because God's for it. But anyways, this is what it says that let us send abroad. And he talks about gathering all the people. Look at, look at this now. The priests and the Levites, which are in the cities and suburbs, that we may gather themselves unto us and let us bring the ark of God to us. For we, and this is, this is valid, verse three, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Uh, Saul, didn't, Saul didn't care about it. Uh, Saul had a bad attitude. Uh, hang on, wait. Um, Saul had a lot of issues. Saul had a lot of issues. And so David is looking at this and wait a minute, hang on, hang on just a minute. He's saying this, he's saying, listen, there's some things that haven't been done right back here in our history that need to be, that need to be addressed now. Well, that, that's important. In fact, you ought to learn from things like that and see whether it's, whether it's in the, um, in, in the movement that we're in, an independent fundamental Baptist movement, which is a New Testament church movement, basically. There'd be some wrong spiritedness back then that we don't want to have a part in. Treating me, people mean and harsh and... Mm -mm. Yeah. So David maybe had had that. I mean, it just says it right here in the text in verse number three. And all the congregation said that they would do so for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Everybody see that? The thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Well, no offense to you, I don't think you'll take it. But it really doesn't matter what's right in the eyes of the people. It matters most what's right in the eyes of God. So here it is, it was right in the eyes of the people. And then basically it's telling the same story about how that they put the ark on a new cart. All right, let's go back to 2 Samuel. Can you find that again? So it's the parallel passage, but it gives us a little bit of insight as to what David is thinking, what's going on here and who he's ultimately trying to please. They gathered a great multitude together. Bunch of people were in on this. Bunch of people were. You know, I found out that just because a bunch of people are involved doesn't mean it's right. A bunch of people can be wrong. There's a bunch of people in bars tonight. So we, we can't go by what majority says. 
He gathered a great multitude together. They put the ark on a new cart. I wonder what the deliberation would have been there and say we're getting ready to haul the, haul the cart, uh, haul the ark on a cart. <laughs> King, I'd like to make a motion that we haul it on a, on a cart. Well, that'll do. That'll get it there. It needs to be a new cart. Who do we know that could construct a new cart? Well, I know so-and-so down there at the garage. Wherever, not garage. <laughs> cart shop. And he can make a nice one. Put Yahweh on the side. Huh? Shiny. Nice wheels. Never been used. I mean, this is special, David. We need to go big here. Bunch of people, 30,000 gathered together, more than that, you know, in line in the streets of Jerusalem. Us in Ohio, no indication in the text that they are Levites. No indication that they weren't. I tend to think they weren't because if they were, it would have said it. He had Levites around, but he didn't have Levites carrying it. How about this? David himself involved in this. That's big. David's involved. All types of instruments, string, percussion, wind instruments, all these are playing and people are dancing and people are moving about. But listen, listen hang on just a minute. It doesn't matter how many people get on the, in on this. It doesn't matter whose idea it was. It doesn't matter what kind of new stuff comes out. It doesn't matter how loud and skillfully played the music is. It does not matter how impressive that brand new card is. Because there's one major problem with it. It went, it went against the law of God. Because God said in Numbers chapter four that the ark of God is to be carried by the priest. It's not to be put on a card. Listen, he's a holy God. You can't treat him like some pagan God. Yes, that's what the pagans do. But we're not here to just worship and serve our God like he's a pagan God. He's a holy God. And those who deal with him must deal with him in holiness. You can't lead them in the old paths on a new cart and think that you've got God's blessings on it. It doesn't matter what leader is involved in that. It doesn't matter how many people are getting on board with that. It doesn't matter how expensive the band is. It doesn't matter how much money they poured into that auditorium. It doesn't matter how expensive that drum, those drums are and those electric guitars are. It doesn't matter how cool and hip the song leader looks leading from the piano rather than up here leading us as a congregation of God. It doesn't matter how beautiful and skinny and slick and, and, and seductive that the women look singing behind them. You're trying to lead a church in an old path with a new cart and God says that won't work, friend, because listen, he's still a holy, holy, holy God and we cannot exempt, we can't treat God's holiness like it's obsolete today. No, God's, God's holiness has never gone obsolete. I may lose my voice, but I've not lost my mind. Come on now. I'm just simply saying to you, listen, he's a holy God and we can't get some kind of a band up here and treat him like he's some kind of a pagan rock concert. Kind of got ahead of myself, but I tried. You, so, you know, we need, we need a pastor. You say, preacher, you're about to say some things you've already said before. Yes, I am. Because there's, I, I, met with, I met with an individual that I dearly love. And I, and I think that there's a lot of good intentions there. I think that people have a, have a desire for God. I'm not doubting that at all. But I basically said this. I said, you know, listen, if you keep going the direction that you're going, you're going to end up right where we were when we were in Springfield and why we left. In terms of a Bible college and how it began to change and they were getting in some new carts. Please, please tonight, don't, don't think, oh man, that's so judgmental, that's so critical. Hey, listen, we've gotta be discerning about these things. 
I saw my school change. I've, I've seen churches change. I saw a church that I loved that I was involved in begin to change and a lot of things change in a hurry. And it, listen, well, somebody might say, well, I don't want to be like a, a heartland clone. Well, we're not trying to produce any kind of clones here. Ain't nobody going around here shaving their head to look like Brother Gaddis. <laughs> Some of that's just happened kind of naturally, but they're not like doing that intentionally. That's not it. But here's what happens if you don't want to walk. And I just thought about like Brother, Brother Thrift and Brother Patterson and others that are here tonight. Listen, why in the world would we want to go a different path when God's hand of blessing has been on the men of God as they've respected the holiness of God and preached from the book of God? And they didn't say, well, we need a new version today. We need a new cart today. We need a new way to get the message to the people. Hey, listen, what in this book's not right? I'm not ready to say Mark 16 doesn't fit. I'm not ready to say that Jesus didn't really forgive the person, the, the woman taken in adultery there in John chapter 8. I'm not ready to say Mark chapter 16 ends at verse number 8. No, 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 listen, friend. Everything in this book is indeed God's Word. I'm not ready to say that Acts 8 is not in there and the, the verse about immersed by baptism. I'm not ready to say any of that because this is the Word of God. You don't need a new cart. You just need to keep preaching what God gave you to preach. Oh, no, no, we need a new cart. We need a new idea about, about church and, and a new idea about church attendance. Yeah, let's just cancel Sunday night services so we can all have family time on our phones. Actually, what you'll end up doing, you won't have a lick of family time. Come on now, I'll translate that for you. That's Kentucky. That means you won't have any family time at all because you'll, be you'll be watching football to see how your fantasy team's doing. Hey, listen, you won't have family time. You'll have you time. We don't need to get rid of what God has given us. God has given us a local, independent, fundamental, New Testament church that it will go the ages. It was good back then. It's good today. Should Jesus tarry is coming again, is coming again, then it'll be good 50 years from now, 100 years from now. We don't need to get rid of those hymns that are in that book and start rocking out in here. We don't need to get some kind of a hip pastor that's got cool hair. I mean, you don't need to be against a pastor that's got hair, but don't be against a, a get, get, get a pastor just because of his hair. Don't get a pastor say, well, we want one that'll wear shorts up there. I guarantee you don't want me up here wearing shorts. <laughs> it blinds you. I say it blinds you, dear friend. You don't need that. No, you need somebody that'll stand up here and tell you how holy that he is and how wonderful his word is. We don't need new carts. We just need to walk in the old paths. Your good intentions doesn't mean that what you're doing is right. No, listen, you can have good intentions and still be wrong. Well, they put a lot of effort into this. I don't think this was oversight. I don't think this was a lack of knowledge. Chapter 15, verse 2 says, David, David says, the ark of God is to be carried by the Levites. He knew. He said, well, what, what happened then to David? I don't know. I don't know if he, I'll, I'll mention a danger right here. It's a danger when somebody who knows what's right just kind of turns a blind eye. Says, well, let's let the young guys run with it here. Uh, that could happen in a home too, couldn't it? We as dads know what's going on and we just kind of turn a blind eye to it. Oh, listen, friend, we got to deal with things. Sure, in a loving way, but we can't just turn a blind eye here. I don't, I don't think it was because David didn't know. I don't think it was a slip up. I don't think that it was, I don't think it was an oversight. Uh, in fact, I like what one man said, uh, Brother Craig, he said way back, Blakey, that's his name. He said this, he said, it, it had to be something of a deliberate plan about it. As if the law in the wilderness were now obsolete. And in so small a matter, any method might be chosen that the people liked. Um, he's making a good, valid point right there that this is no small matter since it pertains to the ark of God. Church, they had the word about it. They had good examples of Joshua the when they transported it properly. 
They had bad examples of Hophni and Phineas when they did not. They were not ignorant of these things. Warren Wiersbe said that God's work must be done God's way if it's going to have God's blessings. David said, how in the world then, how shall I bring the ark to me? Well, you know what? He did. He, he did. He, he does. Come on, I'm just about to use every verb in the family there. The last part of the chapter, he does it right. He gets back to how it was in the book. And he has Levites carry it like they're supposed to on the poles. And he dances before the Lord. You say, man, I can't wait till he preaches that. <laughs> when God's people are no longer awed, respectful, or fearful of God's holiness, the whole community is at risk. There's a biblical answer to all this. David asked, how shall I bring the ark in? Just look in the book of Numbers and see how to do it. How shall we as a church in the 21st century? I don't, I don't know. I, I realize I may be preaching to you and you say, Brother Gass, I don't know why you're spending so much time on this. And I think some of that could be because this is all that many of you have ever known. And you ought to thank God for that. Because I just took a quick sampling of the top 10 CCM songs today. And I thought for sure I was watching MTV. Not that I watch MTV, <laughs> for the record. God still wants us to meet together as his people. Something is so holy as the Ark of the Covenant, you think they treat it with great holiness and respect. Local New Testament church is a place where we meet together and we hear from God. You think that we treat it with respect and holiness. That we wouldn't look at it and say, well, I, can, I think I can make some changes here that violate the holiness of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, would you please, just real quick. And, and um, 1 Peter 1 verse 14 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to former lust in your ignorance. You know what he's saying right there? Don't, don't live like you used to live when you didn't know God. There is music that I used to listen to when I wasn't right with God. I was saved, but I wasn't right with God. And there's music that I listened to then that, that I'm embarrassed to say now. And I'm not going to mention all of it that it was. Some of those groups are back and they're old and wrinkled and they ought to be done. <laughs> but when I started getting things right, I began to fuss with my youth pastor, who's now my father-in-law. I better be careful how you treat your youth pastor. Amen. Amen. And I began to fuss with my friend that, that was trying to help me understand why you can't just take Christian words and put them to the sound of a rock song, rap song, country song. I said, well, what's wrong with it? It's got the right words. Verse 14, not, not fashioning as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which has called you is what? Holy, so be ye holy in some manners of conversation. You just kind of pick it out yourself. Like I'll be holy in this area, but I won't be holy in dress. Or I won't be holy in music or I won't be holy in what I watch. I won't be holy. I can pick and choose. This like a buffet. No, no friend. It said all manner of conversation, all manner of conversation. We're to be holy set apart unto him because it is written. He be ye holy for I am holy. You say, I don't know. I mean, what's so big about it? Well, number one, I mean, if, if I'm arguing against somebody that's spiritually minded as Brother Decker, I think probably the problem's with me and not with him. That's just an assumption on my part. I know I've given this illustration before. We've got a lot of new people here, so I'm just going to throw it out there so you can listen to it like you've heard it for the first time tonight. But I wanted to say thank you to my pastor's son who had a big impact on my life. I probably wouldn't be here tonight had it not been for him and really for Angie who in our eighth grade class had a great testimony for the Lord when I did not. She dressed like a lady and I thank God for it. I didn't appreciate it then. In fact, I kind of got convicted when I got around her and she invited me to go to our Bible club at our church. She invited me to go to my own church.
She stood out in our public school. And I thank God for it now. So I wanted to show Craig Carson. I really appreciated what he did for me and caring for my life. And so I bought him a shirt at the Christian bookstore that said, Bud Wise Up. He's the, <laughs> Brett just put his head down. <laughs> He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And for me to Brother Daniel right there, you couldn't tell that it wasn't a Budweiser symbol. Now, hang on just a minute before you judge. Actually, I want you to go ahead and judge. Is it the right words? Sure it is. Do people need to wise up? Oh, yeah. Is he the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Most certainly so. But he's so holy and so righteous in all his ways. He's got no business associated with that emblem. No more than I can take how holy he is and put his name in a song that sounds like a rap song, a rock song, a pop song, something that's associated with the world. Listen, those are, that's the right content. It's not the right vehicle. It's, an old, it's a new cart. And Brother Carson told his son, you need to tell Jason, take that shirt back to the bookstore. And that I did. And learn my lesson. Yeah. I had good intentions. But I was wrong. Sad today that many that had the responsibility of living, leading the church of the living God treating it more like a club or a concert, treating his word like it can be manipulated by man. We can pick and choose what is his word and what is not. New leadership models. It's sad when NFL analysts look more dressed up You, 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 watch, you watch tonight, you watch, who, you know, as they're commentating, Tony Dungy, whoever it is, you, they're going to be in a suit and tie, they're going to be looking sharp, and, and yet preachers, so-called, up there in flip-flops. Is NFL more important than the living God? I don't think so. Not at all. It's a mistake. taking people in a wrong way. Oh yeah, they got strong media presence, numerous conferences, maybe trying to correct some things that were wrong in the past. But that gives you no license to come up with your own ideas about how church ought to look and how the gospel ought to be handled. And what is the Word of God and what baptism is and what the Lord's Supper is and who ought to have it and who ought not and all those things. It gives us no right for us to decide. This is His church. We don't need new carts. We've been given something very sacred. We've been given something that is older than us. Southwest Baptist Church alone is older than us. Well, most of us. have no liberty and license to change it to suit our likings but the rest is here tonight and never forget brother Russ us being there together and graduating we walked out together he leaned over to me and said let's lead them in the old past and that fired me up brother Russ I want to say to you students that are here tonight, don't you take a good godly church and begin to poll the crowd of that city or that town to see what they want. You dive into the Word of God and you see what God wants. And you lead them in the old paths. And you don't, you don't, don't get concerned about what 
others are going to do and what they're doing, what a big crowd they have and how many people are liking them and how many are following them and what kind of presence they have. You just lead them in the old paths and leave the new carts to others. So, I mean, this whole thing's about, been about church. Well, it's what God's given us. But could we not take this same principle and apply it to what it means to be a family? The family's as old as the book of Genesis. Gen- gender is as old as God's creation of gender. We've got no license to say, we need a new cart here. We, we, can, we can say we've got 77,000 genders. And you may have, well, you got intentions. But that doesn't mean you're leading people in the right way. Because male and female created he them. And we don't need to put it on a new cart. We just need to get back to what it says in the book. Same thing about marriage, same thing about family, same thing about husband's role, wife's role, kids' roles. On and on it goes, whatever it is. Hey, listen, what we need to do is we need to be people of the book and live right here. So, Father, thank you tonight. Loving church family who understand that good intentions do not compensate for wrong decisions. But I imagine there'd be some here tonight, dear God, that have been influenced by the Philistines, at least in their hearts and at least in their minds, to think that you and your ways are too narrow for them. But truly, God, you blessed the house of Obed-Edom just because your presence was there. And he being a Levite, you, you had your blessings. And when David did it right, God, certainly you blessed. God, my uh, heart's been stirred as I studied this, as I thought about some of my dear friends, even some that are younger than I. And God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, just to lead in the right path, in the right way, Applying holiness, not redefining holiness. Not reflecting Philistia, but reflecting your word in all that we say and do. God, I pray for Southwest Baptist Church here tonight that you'd keep us on the old path, that you'd keep us on the right path, that you'd help us to be people of the book and apply faithfully and regularly what it means to be holy and set apart unto you. I pray that the members of this church would not be in an in a old path type church with a Philistine type mentality. Amen. I pray God that you'd help them to be right with you in their private life and in their public life. Lest we subtly begin to change in ways that we never even dreamed that we would. Correct us God where we have, help us God that we don't. I pray that we'd honor you as a New Testament church here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.